Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. The Box of Oddities is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to The Box of Oddities wherever you access your podcasts. But we hope you give CastBox a try. The curator is greatly pleased with CastBox. We think it's the best. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. I got my tea. How's your throat? It's a little sore. Yeah. Is it allergies, do you think? Or because, you know, this time of year, you've got the goldenrod uh, blooming. and uh... Yeah. Um, did I ever tell you about the time that I made goldenrod earrings for my stepmother who has severe allergies? <laughs> no. I didn't no. realize that it was not a nice gesture, uh-huh. but, uh, you know. So you actually made jewelry out of uh, weeds. Yep. Yeah, nice. yeah. I'm, I got a jewelry making kit for uh-huh. my birthday, and it had like some of those hook th- hook earring hooks, and then I had some um, wreath making materials as well, so like that green wire that you put around the, yeah, and so I green wired some goldenrod to some of those hooks, and I was like, look, they're like flower earrings. And she was deathly allergic to goldenrod. I mean, rod. she didn't die. Oh, well, that's good. And how old were you then? I don't know. Probably like eight. Oh, I thought you were like 27. Uh-huh. Okay, well, that makes a lot more sense. What are you looking at over there? In the last episode, I, I did a segment on the bubonic plague and the horrors thereof. Um, the episode dropped at uh, midnight, our time. At 23 minutes after the hour, we got a message from uh, Helen in the UK. Nice. Uh, she said, I'm just listening to the new episode and thought you might like a ghost story. I live near York. In the UK, it's a very, very old city. And on a ghost walk, we were shown an old house and told that when the plague was in the city hundreds of years ago, a family lived there and their little girl became very sick and the family packed up and moved and just left her there. (gasps) 
Which, you know, actually I had read some case histories while researching that, and that was not uncommon. Really? They, just abandoning just said, their yep, family members? That were out. So they packed up and moved, just left her there, locked the door, and they marked a red cross on the door to show that it was a plague house. The little girl didn't have the plague. She woke up to find her family gone, herself trapped in the house with no food, no heat, and so she would stand in the upstairs window and just bang on the glass and try to get people to, to help her. But because of the cross on the door, no one paid attention. They crossed the street to avoid it. But eventually someone came in and got her out of the house? That's just a lovely thought, but no. Oh. Um, as the story goes, she perished in the house. To this day, people still see a little girl in the upstairs window crying for help, knocking on the glass. And people will knock on the door and tell the owners that their daughter is, uh, is up in the window in distress. And the owners tell her they don't, they don't have a daughter in distress. They don't have a daughter. Ma, ma, ma. She said, that's not the scariest story that I've ever heard, but it is heartbreaking. Thanks, Helen from York in the UK. That is really, really sad. But it does give you a little insight into the realities of what the, those people were dealing with. It's like, well, probably our best option is just abandon our daughter and uh, leave her to die alone. It's and not, that was reality. That was their best option. Yeah, it, it, and it's not too far from non-reality in uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail where, I'm not dead yet, mm. and then, you know, beats him on the head with a club. Right. Thank you. Thank you very much. So true stories of the weird. I go first on this episode. You know, I've often thought with much respect about how difficult it must be to be a first responder like an EMT or a firefighter. Oh, for sure. And you see some pretty horrific things. I would imagine. And sometimes you're the one that has to fix it. You're the first person there that has to fix it or try to. And it must be really hard if it's a horrific car accident and it's a family and well, anybody, but you know, especially if it's a family. Or you go to a house fire and there are people and pets and stuff inside. But I imagine that your training helps you learn to deal with those types of things as well as the experience itself. How do you deal with calls that border on paranormal or unexplained phenomena? Does that happen a lot? All the time. Uh-huh. Well, it does happen. According to Reddit... These Redditors, uh, these are first responders who shared some of the more bizarre, unexplained, or difficult to explain experiences that they had. First-hand account. We got a call from someone who was riding their bike at a, quote, breakneck speed when they hit a car headfirst without oh. a helmet. We went over immediately, despite the fact that it was broad daylight, and we were in the middle of suburbia on a Saturday. Nobody even came to check on the poor guy. Seriously, the street was totally empty. Usually a, usually a massive crowd gathers when something violent happens right. like this. So his skull was pretty much smashed in. Oh. He was unresponsive. It was the worst head injury I had ever seen. We assessed that he had a major skull fracture, a concussion, and he was bleeding profusely. He was missing teeth, had road rash. To give you an idea of how bad it was, this was the kind of injury that most people don't survive. You look at it and you go, yeah, mm, yeah no. Uh, if you did survive, you'd probably be in a vegetative state. Normally, we don't move somebody like that off the road because of a neck and head injury. It's just too dangerous. Right. We, we try to help them as best we can without moving them until it's safer. My partner who was training me as I was still kind of new, went to check the pulse while I began to unload the gear. He crouched down. He, he felt for the pulse for a while, had no luck, and stood up and turned to me and opened his mouth as if to say something. Suddenly, the guy fucking jumped up. He didn't use his arms to pick himself up. He just leapt to his feet. What? It startled the two of us. He looked at us and smiled and then attempted to grab his bike. 
we tried to stop him, but we didn't exactly want to wrestle him to the ground, you know, with his condition. Sure, he'd get bits on you. He gets away from us, bolts into the woods without his bike. My partner was even in more disbelief than I was. He just stared at where the man ran off, mouth agape. Then he turned to me and muttered, He had no fucking pulse, man. I asked him if he was sure, and he swore up and down. He said that biker was clinically dead. We contacted the authorities for assistance. They sent a search and rescue team into the forest. I don't know if he was ever found or not, because we normally don't get much information about patients after they go to the professionals. My best guess is that uh, he went to a loved one's house out of confusion or something like that. What I found odd was that head injuries bleed like hell, so you'd think that guy would have left a long trail of blood for the cops to follow. There was nothing. That's so creepy to think, like... The guy's lying there and his his head's all bashed in from a horrifying accident. Mm -hmm. And and not only does he just get up, but he, without using his arms, just leaps to his feet and starts smiling. Right. And then runs into the woods. That would creep me out. Yeah. Do you remember what he told you, though? Pascal. Pascal? In Pet Cemetery. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's been so long since I've seen that. I'm embarrassed. Dynamite 86 wrote... I'm a former EMT firefighter here. One night we got a call to do a wellness check on someone who dialed 911 but then didn't respond to the operator. We pulled up to the address. The house looked perfectly quaint. And a little old lady greeted us at the door. We asked her if she knew who placed the call and she told us that she lived alone since her husband had died. Uh, We barely got back to the station before a call comes in again. Same address as before. So we drove back out, talked to the old lady again, and then leave again. Just as we get back to the station, same call, same address, no response. We drive out there again, believing the old lady must have been confused. But this time we pulled into the driveway, the old lady was not at the door to greet us. There was no reply as we knocked on the door, but the door was unlocked. So we take a peek inside and find the old lady was on the floor. We rushed in to help her and got her to the hospital in stable condition when she woke up in the ambulance. She claimed that she never called us and that we arrived almost immediately after she had fallen. It was a 15-minute drive to our house from the station. Before she was admitted to the hospital, she asked me and another EMT if we could bring her knitting needles and bag of clothes to her in the hospital. I offered to pick up her stuff because a friend of mine lived in the area, and I often went over there and hung out with him anyway. I picked up my friend. We drive to the lady's house. I ran inside to grab the bag and the knitting stuff while my buddy sat in the car. Just as I was leaving, I swear I felt a hand on my back and a voice say, thank you. When I got into the car, my friend said, well, why couldn't that lady's husband have taken her stuff to the hospital? I explained that her husband was dead, but he said, no, I just saw an old guy in the window. He was smiling and waving at me. I didn't believe it. I refused to believe anything supernatural. So I called the police and asked them to do a sweep of the house. I thought it might be a squatter. There was nothing there. I later brought my friend to visit the lady. He started describing the old dude who was in the window. And the old lady immediately started tearing up and said, that's my Harold. Aww. Now, whether or not that's true, it's a delightful story. It is a delightful story. Do you think she killed him? I think she killed him and ate him. That's what I think. And then buried his remains in the backyard under the satellite dish. Mm-hmm. I hate Arizona, wrote. <laughs> How can you hate Arizona? That's all right. I hate Rhode Island. I, Rhode I, Island I, stole my friends. Oh, that's right. Your friends moved to Rhode Island, so you hold the state personally responsible. I get it. Um, I'm a 911 dispatcher. I'll always remember Mr. Blue. That's what we will call him. The nicest old man, kind of living out in the middle of the desert. He was tagged in our system as having dementia. 
We used to take calls from him nearly every night about how his wife's dolls would come to life and torment him. Or how his wife was kidnapped by them. She had passed away years ago, but he was convinced that her dolls had kidnapped her. So it seemed that every time that he would call was just about around my shift. So, and I just so happened to be the one to take the calls most of the time. It was a little creepy being on the phone with him. He would randomly shush me and you could actually hear footsteps in the background. Little tiny footsteps. Or he would explain that there was somebody living in his couch and they kept laughing at him from inside the couch. It's the nicest old man. And you never want to deny them, so I just stay on 911 with him and we talk about his life until the deputies would arrive. Mr. Blue just stopped calling one night. When they reported to his house, they found him on the floor with hundreds of tiny stab wounds. Okay, that part was not real. Mm -hmm. I just made that up because that would have been the way I would have wanted the story to end. Mm -hmm. But he just stopped calling and they never heard from him ever again. He just disappeared. Into the couch? Possibly. That's Mm -hmm. where he ended up. Mm -hmm. He was swallowed by furniture. Right. Trying to make his way out like Danny DeVito. (laughs) (laughs) From It's Always Sunny? That's a great scene. A police officer wrote, a partner and I were dispatched to a welfare check. An elderly guy, nobody had seen him for a few days. Mail was overflowing in the mailbox, uh, missed a doctor's appointment, the car hadn't been moved, etc., those types of, of, of signs. We both knew that we were about to find a body. Right. We arrive on the scene. We can't get anyone to open the door. I look through the window, and sure enough, I can see his foot on the floor in the mm. living room behind the couch or around on the other side of the couch. My partner is a corporal and pulls rank and makes me go first. The door's unlocked, and as soon as we open it, we smell, you know, a mostly fresh dead body smell. Almost relieved, we we both entered, and he tells me to check vitals on the dead guy. He was obviously dead. With lividity, dried feces on him, dried saliva around the mouth. So I go to stand over him and see if I can get a pulse, at which point he takes a deep breath, rolls over, and asks me why we're in his house. Oh... At this point, we both start screaming, oh shits and oh fucks, as we ran out of the house. (laughs) We called EMS and they transported him. They said they couldn't get a blood pressure or pulse on him. I think he died a week later at the hospital. I still get jokes about uh, raising the dead. How weird is that? I mean, these people are put into these situations constantly. Sure. So, and it makes sense that you're a little bit on edge, maybe, and um, your imagination might, might play games with you a bit, but... In these cases, it seems like it wasn't just their imagination. I mean, when a guy with a crushed head jumps up and runs off into the woods, that something else going on there. Well, he was probably confused because of the concussion. I guess that's, that's certainly a possibility, but how does one with a crushed skull just leap to their feet without using their arms or anything and then grins at him like the grinning man from the Mothman prophecies? Oh, you're giving me that look. You hate that story. You did it on purpose. Yeah, I'm going to do the Mothman prophecies pretty soon, just so you know. I don't know why it freaks me out. It just does. Anyway. We all have our things (laughs) that freak us out. You know, I really admire and respect first responders. I just don't know how they do it. I couldn't do it. I could not do it. No, it seems like it would be a struggle for me, like, every day, knowing that I didn't know what I was going into. Yeah. Yeah. And you know that if you get a call, it's not going to be a good thing. Right. And it seems like uh, the what they do compared to how they're compensated doesn't exactly line up. It's like, mm. you know, 
the dollars to horrendousness ratio doesn't exactly line up. But I mean, and people appreciate what they do. And that's why, you know, sometimes they get a free drink and a coat. I mean, free chips and a Coke with a sandwich purchase. But mm-hmm. um, it just doesn't quite line up for me. My brain. Yeah. If I'm prying somebody's head out of the back seat of a car at an accident, um, bag of chips isn't going to make me feel better. Right. Sorry. Appreciate the thought. Love you. Bye. That thing on the side? No. It's that thing in the middle. And now on that thing in the middle. More glitch in the matrix. I was 19 and living at home with my parents and younger sister still. I came home from work from my job at a barbecue place and my sister says to me, Oh, I thought you said you were off today. I'm confused because I left at 5 a.m. before anyone was even awake. And I ask her, when did I say that? She says to me, like two hours ago in your room. She thinks I'm screwing with her. So I tell her to smell me because you can smell the barbecue sauce and the smoke on me. Then she gets really creeped out and tells me she had seen me in bed with covers up to my neck and had a 15 minute conversation with me. That shit really creeped me out. And I never felt comfortable in that room again. You know, when you smell like barbecue smoke, that proves that there is a world beyond ours. Sometimes I believe that Moe's tofu sandwiches are bringing me to a world beyond ours. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. I love doing this podcast with you. Really? Yeah. I love doing this podcast with you, too. It's fun. We we get to meet a lot of great people and um, people that have the same types of interests that we have. Yeah. And I've noticed that um, in doing the talkie-talkie part of the podcast, I feel real good about it. I feel like it's time to do it. We get it done. The rest of the podcasting business, though, there's like stuff. There's stuff. There's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of clerical billing and invoicing. and That is not where no. I feel I have strong skills. I am a world-class procrastinator. Mm. In fact, I'm going on the pro tour. You have year. a badge. I'm a United States uh, procrastination marshal. We've been meaning to make you a sash, but we haven't gotten around to it. Because we're procrastinators. That's why if you have a small business, especially if you're a creative type and you're like we are, uh, HoneyBook is the way to go. HoneyBook is a purpose-built business management platform for creative small businesses. So they help like photographers, designers, event professionals, and other solopreneurs save hundreds, if not thousands of hours a year by adding time-saving automation to their business. And I do love that uh, for whatever reason, this podcast seems to uh, attract the creative types. We've got artists, uh, comic book illustrators, Mm -hmm. photographers, that sort of thing. And, And this is perfect for you guys. HoneyBook makes it easy to streamline the client process so you don't miss a thing. And that's why, for a limited time, Box of Oddities listeners can get 50% off the first year of mm. HoneyBook with promo code BOX. That's 50% off the first year. Not the first week, not the first month, the first year. That's 365 days of I don't have to worry about this invoice. That's 365 days worth of I don't have to deal with trying to structure a proposal. 
So go to HoneyBook.com today and use promo code BOX to get started. HoneyBook.com, promo code BOX. Promo code BOX. Promo code a box. HoneyBook's awesome. Big thumbs up. Please don't listen to this podcast while operating heavy machinery because, you know, you couldn't hear the stories. This is The Box of Oddities. We're talking a little bit ago about how we all have our things. And I do, I real quick want to uh, shout out to Jimmy, uh, who has been hanging out with us for a while now. And he's, uh, every once in a while, will pop in on our social media. And I really appreciate him. And I felt kind of bad. Oh, oh, you're talking about Jimmy, the truck driver. Yes. From Texas. Yeah, he he traverses the country and listens to our podcast in his truck. And um, this week he posted something on our Facebook page and I deleted it. And so I sent him a private message and I was like, hey, I feel really bad, but I let him know why. So the, the picture that he posted was of something that would upset you personally. Oh. And you were napping at the time. So I knew I got it. I, you know, I deleted it quickly enough so that you wouldn't see it. And I sent him a message and I said... Jimmy, I appreciate, you know, you're hanging out with us and you're shooting us this message. And yes, it's freaky and yes, it's creepy and I appreciate it, but it would legitimately make Jethro throw up. So I deleted it. I hope you all understand. Hearts, hearts, hearts. Uh, was it a picture of, of like clusters yep. or holes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I have, what is that? What is that condition called? It's like tricks, tricks, a tricks, a hold on. Triophobia. And and what's the definition of it, just for people who don't know what that is? Uh, it's an aversion to the sight of irregular patterns or clusters of small holes or bumps. Yeah, I have that. And and, I, and I'm serious. Like, if I see a lotus pot, I have to leave the room. Mm-hmm. It, it I don't know. It's weird. But you were telling me you read somewhere it was an evolutionary thing. Right. That um, I think it, it specifically points to a kind of octopus and the patterns on them. But um, Poisonous, right? It, yeah. It's, it's, we it's, recognize those patterns as being danger. Danger. And, and get away. Yeah. So, I mean, you're just... You're just working with what you were given evolutionarily. Yeah. We went to a, um, a mineral shop. The Rock and Art Shop Rock in and downtown shop. Bangor. And they had a lotus pod uh, sitting on the, uh, on the counter. And in the holes of the lotus pod, they had put crystals. Yeah. In the, and I almost passed out. Yeah. I'm not kidding. No. I had to leave the, had to <laughs> I had leave to leave the, the building. I had to leave the store and get some air. It's just, it's a weird thing, but I'm finding out that a lot of people suffer from it. Yeah. I actually have, there are people in my family, so I'm wondering if it's somewhat hereditary. That makes sense. Yeah. So don't, don't send us lotus pods, please. No. Or if you do, send them to Kat and she'll destroy them before I see them. <laughs> I just love you. <laughs> I know I you do. protect you from Looking out. holes. <laughs> <laughs> clusters <laughs> what you got for me this episode i debated on doing this one um but last week was real dark and i felt sad about that so this week i thought we'd lighten things up a bit with board games board games what's odd about board games so the history of board games is actually pretty interesting and so I wanted to touch base on the history of board games. Some of the a weirder, bit. weirder aspects of not, no, not the weirder aspects, just the history of board games. Okay, well, let's have it. Quit questioning the weirdness of my story. Okay, I just thought you know, 
box of oddities the name of the show so there might be something odd in there if there was a first board game then that had to have been pretty odd you, hmm? that's a good no, point right then all right a board game is a tabletop game that involves counters or pieces moved or placed on a pre-marked surface or board according to a set of rules some games are based on strategy, some contain an element of chance, um, some are skill-based, some require zero skill. There's a thing called Gen Con, and that's the biggest tabletop gaming convention in North America. It's now in its 51st year, and it's not slowing down. According to organizers, this year's show was once again an attendance record-breaker, Board games are experiencing a huge boom in popularity, and according to Statista.com, in 2016, the global board games market was valued at approximately $3.2 billion. So let's talk a bit about Saynet. Saynet is the first board game that we know of. What's it date to? It was found in burials of Egypt in 3500 B.C., Good and 3100 BC, respectively. It is the oldest board game known to have existed. This, I love this. In learning a little bit about board games, I started to realize that board games traditionally, not for kids. Um, board games originally were meant as an adult pastime, and the Egyptians especially loved a board game. Sainat was pictured in a fresco found in Merknera's tomb. Um, that's... 3300 to 2700 BC. And its name roughly translated to the game of passing. Oh, so it was like a, a game about death? No, passing, like oh. cribbage. Oh, it's like cribbage. Okay. Well, well that, I don't okay. know if it's yeah. like cribbage, yeah. but yeah, but sure. passing with pegs. Okay. I can I can envision that. I can see the pharaohs sitting around playing cribbage. Mm -hmm. Not not mousetrap by Milton Bradley. I don't I can't envision that. Oh. Yeah. What was that for a thing? You something my mousetrap. No. You... No, you're thinking of uh, Rock'em Sock'em. Rock'em. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or Rock'em Sock'em Robots. You knock my block off, which isn't a, really a game. Well, I guess quite, kind of sort of, but yeah. Battleship. You sunk my battleship. That's probably what you're thinking, which is another fine Milton Bradley game. I feel like there was, a, there was one for Mousetrap also, which I only played once with my cousin Dustin. It was fun. It was fun, but it's too hard to set up and, and then you lose all the pieces. Six out of ten stars. Okay. Evidence of the game Men is found from the pre-dynastic period dating from approximately 3000 BCE and continues until the end of the Old Kingdom, which is around 2300 BCE. So aside from physical boards, which mostly date to the pre-dynastic and archaic periods, the Men board also appears in a picture in the tomb of Hesira, and its name first appears in the tomb of Rahotep. And it was called the Game of Men? M-E-H-E-N, Men. Okay, all right. The Royal Game of Ur, the game that's been played longer than any other in world history, British archaeologist Sir Leonard Woolley discovered five game boards of the Game of Ur during his excavation of the Royal Cemetery at Ur between 1922 and 1934. And because that game was first discovered in the Royal Cemetery at Ur, it became later known as the Royal Game of Ur. But later, archaeologists uncovered other copies of the game from various and other locations across the Middle East. 
Each of the boards discovered by Woolley date to around 3000 BC. Holy crap. And then game enthusiast Irving Finkel discovered the game's rules carved into ancient stone tablets and then found a photograph of an identical game board from modern India. So it's been played oh, man. for like 5,000 years. It's an unbroken chain. Wow. Right? That's kind of odd, huh? That is odd. How's that tea? You need that warmed up? It's fine. <laughs> Let's talk about America. America? And our board games. Okay. In the 17th and 18th century colonial America, so our lifestyle was so focused on farming and such, there wasn't a lot of time for game playing, though drafts, checkers, Bowling and some other card games were not unknown. The Pilgrims and the Puritans of New England frowned, though, on game playing and viewed dice as instruments of the devil. Well, yeah, and, and playing cards were uh, the devil's paste cards or something like that. They, yeah. Yeah. The earliest board games published in the United States were based on Christian morality. So it was a way that they could hone in on things that people wanted to do anyway, but make it theirs. I see. So the Mansion of Happiness was made in 1843. That's in, that's in Vegas, isn't it? <laughs> it's in my pants. Oh, my. Um, for example, the Mansion of Happiness... Uh, players along a path of virtues and vices led to the mansion of happiness, which is heaven. So um, there was also the game of the Pope and the Pagan or the siege and the stronghold of Satan by the Christian army. Basically, you had, you know, options of making good choices or bad choices and then mm. you'd go to heaven or not. I don't know. I don't think that sounds fun at all. That doesn't sound like no. Friday night game night to you. No, I can't imagine as a kid being out at camp playing that game. Do you guys wanna? Do you guys wanna play shoots and ladders, or how about this? The siege of the stronghold of Satan <laughs> by the Christian army. <laughs> I'll make popcorn. I hate it when we come over to Gary's house. <laughs> Gary has the dumbest games. Thanks, Gary. One of the games, quote-unquote, that's brought up in the history of board games that I thought was interesting is the Ouija board. Uh, is this a board game? Really? I've always questioned that. Why did Parker Brothers all of a sudden decide it was a game? Uh, you know? So, if you're not familiar, participants place their fingers on a planchette and it's moved about the board to spell out words. And Ouija was formerly a trademark belonging to Parker Brothers. It's subsequently become a trademark of Hasbro. And uh, generically, though, it refers to any sort of quote-unquote talking board. Mm -hmm. So in theory, uh, people put their hands on the planchette and the spirits talk through the planchette. Right, so now, they spell out. in a game, though... To define a game, hasn't doesn't there have to be a winner? I don't... I, I think the only winners are demons. You know, when you're playing Ouija. Oh, there's winners and losers, but the winners aren't you. And then you have to move and burn the house down. It's just... It's a lot of work for a game. It's true. Anyway, I don't think it's a game. That's my official stance. I'm um, with you. Thank that. you. I don't think it's something to mess around with. Well, I mean, regardless I of what your beliefs are, I don't mind messing around with it. I just don't think it's a board game. All right. It does contain a board, so it's, I guess it, in that case, it has a board. Yes, yeah, but that's about it. Yeah, yeah. 
Are you familiar with the landlord's game? Yes. That's Monopoly, right? Yes, it is. Tell me about this. So Lizzie Maggie, or Maggie? M-A-G-I-E? Maggie? I don't know. I've heard it both ways. She was one of America's very first board game designers. So her board game consisted of a square track with a row of properties on the outside that players could buy. The board game had four railroads, two utilities, a jail, and a corner named Labor Upon Mother Earth Produces Wages, which earned players $100 every time they passed it. So she created this game, the Landlord's Game, in 1904 and designed it to be a practical demonstration of land grabbing with all its usual outcomes and consequences. So she was basically showing, like, this materialism, consumerism, this don't work for people because once you have stuff, you get more stuff. And it it just showed that, what's it, Georgism? that this type of setup, which is what she viewed America as being, um, didn't work for all people. It only worked for those who had. The 1%. Exactly. Ah, or whatever percentage it was then. She hoped that uh, when the game was played by children, it would provoke their natural suspicion of unfairness and that they would grow up seeing that that system wasn't beneficial for a community that it was only beneficial for certain people and, within the community and this game evolved into monopoly yes oh that didn't work out too well no did it? it did not <laughs> no instead it divided families it still does <laughs> i've been told that i can never play monopoly with your son josh oh yeah yeah josh will that will never speak again yeah he's 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 ruthless He's ruthless. You're supposed to be ruthless. That's how I play too. So I think that it would be a great. Yeah, but but when he sits down to play the game, he'll put a loaded revolver on the table. And, you know, it kind of sets the tone. And it's just downhill from there. (laughs) So in 1935, uh, she sold her patent for the landlord's game to Parker Brothers. Uh, Now, of course, we know it as Monopoly. And she sold that patent for five hundred dollars. Oh, good lord! Yeah. Anyway, and Monopoly really took hold during the Depression, and and that makes sense because people were going without, and it was you know a form of escapism for them. For sure, we could pretend that we're millionaires. Well, the longevity of of that game is fascinating. I love it. Let's play. You wanna? Yeah. No loaded revolvers, though. No. Okay. <laughs> anyway, that's what I got on board games. I love that. Yay! I was reading about the history of Milton Bradley. A while ago. The man or the company? Uh, both. He invented uh, what ultimately became uh, the game of life, like in the late 1800s. Mm-hmm. Again, there are these unbroken chains from you know, 125 years ago. The game of life was created as a way to show that everyday life was something worth striving toward doing well. Again, another puritanistic approach yep. to, to gaming. Yeah. There were no first-person shooters. Back in those days. Well, that's fascinating. I love it. Was it? Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Especially the part about the, you know, the Egyptians playing board games. I wonder if things got heated, you know, on game night back in ancient Egypt and Ramesses would all get all pissed off and turn the table over and storm out. I'm so mad. I'm leaving. Putting my shoes on. I'm sanding them. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I don't have shoes. Sandals. 
starting to get itchy. I guess that means it's time to wrap it up. Yeah, the air conditioner's <laughs> it's like off. like an old-time radio show. Yeah. Well, Jethro's getting itchy. It's time to wrap up our show. Oh, you have to turn the air conditioner off, and then I get overheated, and, and my back gets all prickly. <laughs> so, yeah. That's all the time we have. <laughs> the Box of Oddities, twice a week. And we're looking forward to seeing you on Monday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at facebook.com slash box of oddities podcast on twitter at box of oddities and instagram at box of oddities podcast copyright 2018 all rights reserved i'm itchy (laughs) do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend, the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.